Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, The King is Coming. This series looks at seven titles of the coming Messiah found in the book of Isaiah. These titles were all part of a special series of songs that Christians in earlier times sang the week before Christmas, culminating on Christmas Eve with the singing of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We hope this helps you focus on the glory of Jesus, our coming King. We are uh, we're going to be continuing this morning with the second in our series um, that we are calling The King is Coming, where we are uh, over six weeks plus Christmas Eve really going to be looking at uh, the seven titles of Jesus in the book of Isaiah. So our text uh, each week are going to come out of Isaiah, and today we actually have two, uh, Isaiah 11, 1 to 5. And Isaiah 33, 22. The text will all be up on the screen. They'll also be in your booklet, and you can follow along in your Bible or on your uh, on your Bible app on your uh, iPhone or device or uh, tablet. So Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 5, and then Isaiah 33, 22. Hear now the word of the sovereign Lord. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy and with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And then Isaiah 33, 22. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. When uh, I was a teenager, I had actually, it was around the time I became a Christian, uh, the TV show Roots came out as a miniseries, and it was a really epic event. Back then when there were only three uh, three ch- TV channels you could watch at the time, you know, and everybody I knew was watching Roots. And it was a story of this man, Kunta Kinte. And of course, living here in Annapolis, we're familiar because Kunta Kinte was brought to America right down here at the docks, just three miles from where we sit right now. And there was this epic scene where Kunta Kinte uh, had run away, and he was referring to himself still as Kunta Kinte, and the uh, slave master under the owner of the slaves had decided he was going to make Kunta go by the name they had given him, which was Toby. And it was this horrible scene to watch because they had him up and they were whipping him and they were asking what was his name and he kept saying Kunta. And the guy kept beating him trying to make him say his name was Toby. And I remember because also interleaved in some of the scenes with him being whipped, they had the owner was, was reading his Bible upstairs. And I was so angry as a new Christian. I was like, it was all I could do to not throw something at my parents' TV screen. I was so angry that this man would try to be acting like a pious Christian on the one hand and then doing this to another human being on the other. But I bring this particular story up in it today because they did this until they did break him. And he finally said, my name is Toby. Now, why did they do that? It's because there's something powerful about a name. When you try to rename people, you are exerting power and control over them because a name is an identity. It defines who we are. And this is actually not something that we've just developed as a culture. This is something that is deeply rooted in reality. It's the way things are. A name is important. When Adam names all the animals. He is exercising insight and wisdom and and part of being the image of God because he is naming the reality of who that creature is. And 
So there's a powerful thing about a name. And the same thing is true about God's name. God's name is powerful. God's name is to be held in honor. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments is you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. So today we're actually going to be looking at this this thing, Adonai, which is related to the name of God in a kind of layered, complex way that I'm going to be talking about and why it's really important that this king who is coming comes in the name of the Lord and what that means for us. So let's dive into our text. Now, the first thing to understand is that there's these four letters I've got up on the screen, Y-H-W-H, and you notice that you couldn't really pronounce that particular word. You may have heard it as Yahweh or sometimes as Jehovah, uh, but this was God's covenant name in the Old Testament. So in our first of our text today, in Isaiah chapter 11, notice it says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And I've got it highlighted three times, the word Lord, and notice they're all in caps. Many times in your English Bibles, if you look and you see Lord, not capital L, lowercase o-r-d, but all caps, l-o-r-d, that means they are translating the covenant name of God, this y-h-w-h, which we sometimes again pronounce as Yahweh. And this was God's name. It was the name by which he was known. It appears, I looked it up the other day, 450 times in the book of Isaiah alone. This was the name that that Isaiah used to speak to. Far more often than he would refer to him as God, he referred to him as the Lord, in our all caps, you know, uh, as Yahweh. The coming king, he's telling us here, the spirit of the Lord is going to rest on him. And he is going to delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will, uh, the fear of the Lord will be on him by this spirit. So this coming king is closely associated with Yahweh or the Lord. He is anointed with the spirit. He walks in the fear of Yahweh. And he's going to spread that fear to the people of God. And if you notice in the other text that I had today, because both of these are kind of drawn upon in church history as they created that antiphon that we heard earlier. Notice in Isaiah 33, 22, for the Lord, all caps, is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. In a world that's got many other different gods, Israel had one God, and that God gave his name as Yahweh, and he is the one who is their judge, their lawgiver, their king, and it is he who will save them. Now, if you notice here in these phrases, he's the judge, the lawgiver, and the king. Back in our text in Isaiah 11 that we looked at last week, the king who comes in wisdom That king is establishing God's law. He's establishing God's righteousness. He's acting as a judge and a lawgiver and a king. But here we are told that it's actually Yahweh who does that. So the connection between this coming king and Yahweh is, at a minimum, extremely close. Because What the king is coming to do, this one that Isaiah is prophesying about, is something that Isaiah tells us only Yahweh can do. Now, I've used this phrase, Yahweh, and you might have noticed that the song they sang was not, O Yahweh. It was, O Adonai. So we've got up here, this is the the first line in that song, O Adonai, and leader of the house of Israel. So there's a question. Why, if the name of God is Yahweh, are they singing O Adonai? Why was this done? And this is even brought out in the poem that we've got there in the book that Malcolm Geit wrote a sonnet relative to each of these O antiphons. And if you look up here, there is this phrase. He begins his poem, he begins uh, with these three lines. Unsayable, You chose to speak one tongue. Unseeable, you gave yourself away. The Adonai, the Tetragrammaton. Now, that's an unusual word. 
But let me explain why he's saying this, because he's really getting at something deep. Yahweh, those four letters, is God's holy name. It was his covenant name. And because they understood the power of a name, and they were told not to blaspheme that name, Jews didn't even pronounce the name. In fact, if you go back in the Dead Sea Scrolls, when we went down to uh, look at them in Mobile, Alabama a number of years ago, Linda and I, we were sitting in a room and they had them blown up on the wall and I had just finished my Hebrew class so I was trying to decipher and read from the scrolls and I kept coming across these four characters that were not part of the Hebrew alphabet I had learned. The, the Hebrew you learn today uses the Aramaic alphabet. These actually went back to what they call proto-Hebrew, the, the early alphabet. But there were always the same four characters. And I leaned over and whispered to Linda, that has got to be the name of God. And sure enough, what they did was to make sure that nobody pronounced the name, they wrote them in characters that nobody knew what they were anymore. Only scholars would even know what these characters were. And what Jews did when they did this is, rather than reading Yahweh, whenever they saw it, they read Adonai. Because Yahweh was known as the Tetragrammaton, which is just a Greek word that means four letters. And they said whenever those four letters came up in their text, rather than reading Yahweh, or some English pronounce it as Jehovah, what they did was they read it as Adonai. Just for a little extra for you, here's a, here's a freebie. When you're in many Protestant seminaries today, I was taught to do the same thing. So when I read Hebrew, I don't read Yahweh, I read Adonai. You may have heard the, the blessing that Aaron gave, which we will use at the end, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you. In Hebrew, we usually say that Yavarechaka Adonai, if you notice there, it's Adonai, but it's actually Yahweh. But we were taught you, just, you don't read that as Yahweh. You read that as Adonai because it is the holy name of God. So Jews inserted this other Hebrew word, Adonai, which actually means my Lord, but Lord with capital L, lowercase O-R-D, and they used it to put it in. And this is even funny because sometimes Adonai is all over Scripture too. And sometimes you even get the phrase or the God is called, I'm, I'm going to say it the way we would say, Adonai Yahweh. But they, didn't read, they read Adonai Adonai is what they did. And you can see this very often in your Bible. For example, in Isaiah 61.1, and usually when you see the phrase Sovereign Lord, in your English Bibles, it means it is Adonai followed by God's covenant name, Yahweh. So in Isaiah 61.1, where it prophesies about the coming king, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and release for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That word sovereign is actually the word Adonai, and the word Lord in caps is Yahweh, but when it was read, it was read Adonai, Adonai, is how they would try to read it. And this phrase, Sovereign Lord, or Adonai followed by Yahweh, is used 302 times in the Old Testament. This isn't something that only happens once or twice. It's all over the place. In fact, when God comes to Abram in Genesis chapter 15, and Abram is talking to him, that's the phrase he uses, Adonai Yahweh, if you will. My Lord, my sovereign is how Abram does it. And Isaiah does it 26 times. So what happened is the church followed along and said, well, rather than using Yahweh, we're going to use Adonai, kind of an honor. That was the way it was done in ancient Israel. Now, this is God's name, but there's another question that comes up because as we're trying to look at how the church has understood these things, if you noticed in the song, what they referenced did not seem to be about Isaiah, but was actually about something else. So Adonai is related to the burning bush, or more specifically, Yahweh would be. Notice here in the song that, uh, that they were singing, about if you can put the lyrics up, O Adonai and leader of the house of Israel, 
who appeared in the bush to Moses in flame of fire and gave us him the law of Sinai, come and deliver us with an outstretched arm. If we're singing songs out of Isaiah, why are we back at the burning bush? Why are they doing that and talking about him giving the law of Sinai? And actually, uh, in the poem that Malcolm Guite wrote, at the very beginning and at the end, he deals with the burning bush. So notice he's got, Beth, if you can go to the next slide, the Adonai, the Tetragrammaton, grew by a wayside in light of day. He's talking about the bush. The, 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 this incredible God who had made everything is coming to us in a bush. And then at the end, touch the bare branches of our unbelief and blaze again like fire in every leaf. Both of these are related back to the burning bush. Why? Why, if we're talking about an Isaiah, are we doing this? Well, again, I, part of what we're trying to do and understand in this series is we should never read biblical texts in isolation. Always ask where it's drawing from. So when Isaiah says this coming king is going to come in the spirit of Yahweh, in the spirit of Adonai, when he says that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is going to be on him and is going to anoint him to preach good news, where is this coming from? Where, where do we first learn about this in Scripture? And the answer is, the covenant name of Yahweh is established for God's people at the burning bush. This is why the church says, if you're going to think about Isaiah, you've got to go back to where Isaiah is drawing from, which is the story in Exodus. If you remember, at the burning bush, Moses is there, and he asks God, who should I say is sending me back to deliver the people? And God tells him this. Say to Mo God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers. Now notice, Lord, there is all caps again. This is Yahweh. And then down below he says, this is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Now there's a play on words going here because the Hebrew verb, the to be verb, that's I am who I am, is the verb from which Yahweh is drawn. It's basically the letters from I am who I am. It's from that verb that is done. So God's kind of doing a play on words and he's saying to Moses, Listen, here's what you need to know about who I am. I am who I am. You tell them I am is sending you to rescue them. I am the ground of all being. I am the one who blazes but is never consumed. I am the eternal present. I'm the one in whom you live and move and have your being to use Paul's language later. And this is where my name is drawn from. So when you hear Yahweh, remember what it refers to is I am being itself. This is my name forever and ever and ever. And so when Isaiah uses this, it is rooted as it always is for Israel back in the burning bush text. But we know that not only because the name Yahweh is being used, but remember Isaiah had said that this king was going to come in Isaiah 33, 23. He's the one who's going to save and deliver us. He's going to be our judge. He's going to be our lawgiver. He will be the one who saves and delivers us. Well, what does God say he's going to do in Exodus chapter 3? In verse 7 and 8, he says, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God is appearing to Moses, and there at the burning bush, he says, it's been 400 years, and I know you think I have forgotten but I am a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. I do not forget. I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard their cries, and I am going to come down, and I am going to deliver them. And in fact, where's the burning bush at? Does anybody remember what mountain it's on? Mount Sinai. And when they go back to Mount Sinai, what does God do there? He gives them his law. So notice when we come to Isaiah, 
How does Isaiah describe the Lord in our text in Isaiah 33, 22? The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. Isaiah, remember, is preparing the people because they're going to be going into exile. And he is trying to get them ready and to give them hope. And he's saying, look, even when you have gone in exile and you may think that Yahweh has forgotten you, he does not forget. He is your judge. He is your lawgiver. He is your king. And just as he reached out and with an outstretched arm, he brought us out of Egypt and brought us to the promised land, so he is going to reach down and he's going to grab you and he's going to bring you back again. God is faithful to his promises and to his words. And this is why, consider in this very famous passage about the coming king, the one that Jesus uses to inaugurate his ministry, in Isaiah 61.1, what is it that the king is anointed to do? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Why? Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news, the gospel, to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from cap- for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Do you notice that once again what's being done is they are being saved. They are in bondage. They are being held captive. And the one who is coming comes in the spirit of the sovereign Lord, in Adonai Yahweh, to deliver them, to bring them out, to save them. That is who he is going to be, and it is what he is called to do. Just like God had brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, so he is now going to bring them out of slavery again. That is the nature of our God. So this is this reflection going from the burning bush incident and the whole exodus. Isaiah is dealing with it and thinking about the exile But I want you to see the New Testament takes this once again and expands it. Because when it comes to who Jesus is, he fulfills everything. He exhausts everything that was stated and prophesied in the Old Testament. So what we are told is Jesus is not just anointed with the Spirit of Yahweh. He is Yahweh in the flesh. He is Yahweh come to save the people of God. Now, why do I say this? There's at least three reasons we can know this in the New Testament. Number one, the very name Jesus means Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. That's what the name Jesus means. If you remember when the angel comes in Matthew chapter 1 and he speaks to Joseph and says Mary's pregnant and Joseph's going to be putting Mary away because he's heard that she's pregnant. And the angel comes and says, don't do that. The child that's in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he says this, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus, or in Greek, it's Jesus. In Hebrew, it is Yehoshua or Yeshua. All of those mean Yahweh saves. That's what the very name of it is. And notice that what the angel speaks and promises is that he is coming and he is going to save his people from their sins. What Isaiah prophesied that this king was going to do, that he is going to come and save us, Jesus is actually going to accomplish. But the only one who can save is Yahweh himself. So there is a statement here right in his very name that we can forget. Every time you and I say the name of Jesus, what you are pronouncing is Yahweh is mighty, Yahweh saves. I was in bondage, I was captive, I was blind, in fact I was dead. But Jesus, Jesus came, Jesus saves, Jesus frees, Jesus raises me from the dead. It is in his very name. Before he's even been born, his identity has already been established. Number two, notice, remember when Jesus begins his ministry, the very first thing he says publicly to begin his ministry is to go back to these Isaiah texts that we're looking at, and notice what he proclaims about them. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus has called in the synagogue, um, 
they would be singing some psalms while the scroll was being unrolled. They, they had a reading from the Torah that morning, the law, and then whoever was going to speak would pick something out of the prophets that would enlighten what had been read out of Torah. And so Jesus says, I want you to open to Isaiah 61. They're all familiar with this text. And while they're unrolling the scroll, they would sing some psalms. And then Jesus sits down and he, and he reads this. Or he stands up and then he'll sit down in a minute. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down because back then I would be sitting and you all would be standing. Don't you like it better this way? Um, and it says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue are fastened on him because they're wanting him to explain how this lines up with Torah. They all know this is about the Messiah who's going to come. They're thinking he's going to explain to us how one day God's going to send the Messiah. We're looking for this king. And then here's what we read. Jesus began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The one you've been looking for, the one Isaiah prophesied 700 years ago that you have read about week after week after week, Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath. You've been looking forward. You've been thinking it's happening. I am telling you, I am here. I am Messiah. I am the one anointed with the Spirit of Yahweh. I am the Lord who comes to deliver the people from bondage, oppression, and the curses of sin. In fact, Jesus is even saying something else because notice there, he reads into Isaiah 61 2, and he does an interesting thing. He stops in the middle of it because he says, and he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. What is the year of the Lord's favor in the Old Testament? Jubilee. And Jesus is saying, I'm here proclaiming Jubilee. Jubilee is when debts are forgiven when slaves are set free, when everyone is restored to inheritance. And I am telling you, Jubilee is now because I am Yahweh. I am Jubilee. I, in fact, am freedom. It's no longer future. It is fulfilled in me. That's quite a way to start your public ministry. That's quite the claim that he's doing. But notice he's being very clear, and he's saying, what my name proclaims, I'm now telling you is fulfilled. The king has come. The third thing is, remember this name Yahweh, or Adonai, or Lord in all caps, is God's covenant name in Scripture. But many of us may remember that Jesus himself laid claim to this name. In John chapter 8, he's having a debate with the Pharisees. And um, they had said Abraham was great. And Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. And they said, you're not even 50 years old. What do you mean Abraham saw your day? And then Jesus responds in verse 58 with these words. I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. In Greek, ego a me in Hebrew, Yahweh. Before Abraham was born, Yahweh. Now, let's be clear. Did the Jews understand what Jesus was claiming? Yes, because they immediately tried to stone him for blasphemy because they said, you a mere man claim to be God. They had no problem. Certain New Testament scholars today seem to have a problem understanding, but the people standing there got it crystal clear what he was saying. And if you didn't get it on that occasion, seven different times in the book of John, Jesus uses this phrase. He goes through over and over and over again and claims to be the great I am. I did a whole series on this in 2016. You can go back and look at that if you are interested. But what Jesus is claiming here is, in himself, the unspeakable name is now spoken. The unseeable God has taken human form for us and for our salvation. Make no mistake, that's what his claim is 
right there and every time he does this. Jesus is saying, I'm not just a representative of Yahweh. I am one with Yahweh in his very being, and I have come to rescue you just like I did in Egypt, just like I promised that I was going to do, I am here. He's not here just announcing deliverance. Friends, He is deliverance. He is not here just announcing restoration and jubilee. He is restoration and jubilee. This is the coming King. This is the God we serve. Now, how do we apply this? What what does this mean for us Uh, as people sitting here in in 2019. The first thing, and I I want to do this because I want to be crystal clear, sitting here, being a member of the church, standing up here does not make me part of God's people. The first question, am I part of God's people? Am I part of the ones who Jesus delivers? Notice, Jesus delivers his people, not those who are rejecting his kingship. In Isaiah 33, 22, it was the Lord is the judge, the lawgiver, and the king who comes to save, but he's our Lord, he's our judge, he's our lawgiver, he's the one who's going to save us. In Matthew 1, you're going to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Not everyone else, his people. In the song that the 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 chant that the choir did this morning. Notice again what it is. O Adonai and leader of the house of Israel. Not not everyone else, leader of the house of Israel, who appeared in the bush to Moses in the flame and fire and gave him the law of Sinai. Come and deliver us with an outstretched arm. He is Lord over all the earth. He was Lord over Egypt and the Egyptians, and he was Lord over their so-called gods. But the ones he delivered were the ones who were his people. So here's the question for you and me. Have you responded to the gospel? The king comes and announces you can come out of the dark. The king comes and says, your chains are off. You are free to come out of the cell. The king comes and offers good news, gospel to you and me. Have you ever responded to that? Friends, you are not a Christian because you are an American. If you're an American, you're an American. That's what you are. It does not equal being a Christian. Because your parents are Christians does not mean you are a Christian. Or your grandparents. I'm telling you, there are a lot of people standing up right now in churches across this land doing some semblance of what I am doing right here, supposedly teaching God's Word, and they are not part of the people of God because they deny who He is. Have you responded to the Gospel? Do you believe that this is true? Do you know who He is? I urge you, with everything in me, every fiber in my being, please hear me. If you have not responded to the gospel, please do so today. If if you need more information, come talk to me afterwards. I will be glad to go out and sit down and check. Nothing would make me happier. But please... Look to him in faith. Believe that he has come to do this. Believe what we sang this morning. It was the first time we ever sang that song, but yet not I, but Christ in me. Do you believe that? Do you embrace that? That my only hope now, my only hope tomorrow, my only hope in eternity is Jesus Christ. Born, living in obedience to God, crucified, dead, buried, and raised for my salvation. 
That's my hope. Do we believe that? Do we understand? Because our hope, the gospel, you and I are not the gospel. The church is not the gospel. Because the, church, the, the word gospel means good news. I'm not good news, nor are you. Jesus is good news. Friends, if you have never responded to the gospel, I urge you, with everything in me, respond, reach out, embrace him. Secondly, if you are here and you are a believer, you are part of God's people, you are, you are part of the Israel that God has delivered, are you drawing close to Christ every day? Am I drawing close to him? Now, the reason I ask this is, out of this spirit of what goes on at Sinai, you know that despite the fact that God himself comes down and says he wants to meet, you know what the usual human reaction to that is? Who knew? Let's keep you at arm's length. Now, we laugh. Friend, that's what we do. We keep him at arm's length. You remember, Moses is there at the bush, and God says, I've chosen you. You are going to be my instrument to deliver the people. Now, what we might expect is, if it were a Hollywood movie, oh, yes, I will rise up and I will do this. But Moses is like us, so what does he say? Oh, no, here I am, send somebody else. Someone other than me. You remember, you get two chapters of excuses. God, I can't go back and do that. I don't. Th- I mean, what would I? Who would I tell him sent me? I mean, how am I going to do that, Lord? I'm not good at talking. God says I'll bring Aaron along. He can talk for you. And then finally, God almost starts to lose his temper a little bit with Moses. By the end, it's like, look, you're going. This is this is. I, I'm telling you what you're going to do here, Moses. It is there in that text. Moses wants to keep him away. But then you remember, Moses leads Israel out. They come back to Sinai. God comes down on the mountain in flame and thunder and fire. And what does Israel say? Yeah, Moses, you go talk to him. You come tell us what he wants. We will relate to God through you. We don't want that face-to-face thing. Let's keep him up there. We'll stay down here. Anybody ever have that feeling with God? We'd rather pay somebody else to walk with God, somebody else to pray for us, somebody else to get in the Word of God for us. But friends, salvation, deliverance, blessing, and joy are not just external experiences. They're Jesus. And so you can't keep Jesus at arm length and then experience joy. You can't keep Jesus at arm's length and then experience freedom because he is joy and freedom. And so deliverance, freedom, and joy can't be brought to us by someone else. If they're going to be found, they're going to be found in daily personal growing relationship with Jesus. That's where they're found. You, that's why, you, you know, the old, you, you, God doesn't have grandchildren. He, there isn't a mediator. I can't bring you salvation and joy. No matter how much I'm in the Word this week, it's not going to transfer to you unless you are in the Word. And you can't do it for me. We can only do it personally. No one else can download deliverance, joy, and freedom for us. We would like, we really like this, especially in our culture. Somebody else do it, and then can I get an app on my phone? Right? I just want to, we are the only culture, it cracks me up. You know, there, there are apps out there that are about, like, meditation and slowing down, and Americans get competitive about it and how many days they do in a row, and they want to know if they can speed the app up, which would seem to be kind of against the point of what the app's trying to accomplish. But that's the way we are. Is there another way around this other than me having to actually come face to face with it myself? And that's the question we oftentimes do. But see, God wants face to face relationship with us. 
He wants it with you. Malcolm Gite, in the poem, his sonnet on this title, on O Adonai, says this, O you who dared to be a tribal god, to own a language, people, and a place, who chose to be exploited and betrayed, if so, you might be met with face to face. If God didn't want relationship with you and me, you know what he could have done? Nothing. And he'd have had no relationship with you and me. But he did want face to face, and he was willing to be exploited and betrayed. Did that not come true in Jesus Christ? And he did that not so you and I could have somebody else go to him for us, but so we could see face to face. Remember Moses would go in, come out and veil it, and Paul said, see, that, that's, not, that, that's, that's old covenant. Paul said, we all with unveiled faces are contemplating God and day by day being changed from one level of glory into another. Friends, that's the glory of the new covenant. Each of us can come before him. But see, we often still, even as new covenant believers, try to avoid this. I'll go on a little bit further in the poem that Malcolm Geit wrote. That's what he said. Come to us here who would not find you there. See, we're, we're trying to avoid you, so we need you to come to us. Who chose, who, choose, who chose to know the skin and not the pith, who heard no more than thunder in the air, who marked the mere events and not the myth. The pith is the inside. We want to stay surface. And he's saying, God, you got to come to us so we will get beyond surface and press down. And we need to know when he says the mere events and not the myth, myth does not mean something that's not true. It means the overarching story, the big idea. We, we kind of get the events, but we don't really want to know what it means. Because see, what God is telling us, that the coming king is Adonai in the flesh, is he wants to meet you and me face to face. And I'm more comfortable just reciting certain things that I know about rather than being confronted by that reality. So what we're going to do in conclusion today is we're going to be crying out in a moment for God to come and light the fire again in every one of us. Notice how Geit ends his poem, and I encourage you to meditate on these things this week. He says, touch the bare branches of our unbelief and blaze again like fire in every leaf. I've been walking with Jesus now for almost 42 years. And if you tell me that the fire never grows dim, then I assume you've been walking with Jesus more like 42 seconds. Because if you've been walking with him for any period of time, we need some times for God to come and light the fire. Friend, the call, what God wants is, He wants you and I to be the burning bush, as it were. He wants you and I to be alive and aflame with His presence, not consumed because we are living sacrifices. But that's who He wants us to be. He wants to come and speak and meet with you and me. We all need that. So this is the challenge for us this week that I want you to meditate on. Am I willing to hear God's voice and draw near to Him? Tomorrow morning, you may hear as it were, in your bedroom, your kitchen, wherever you are, you may look and see a burning bush. Will you run to it? Or will you say, nothing here I want to get too close to? I'll walk a different way. What Adonai, the Lord who saves, is calling for, is he's saying, come here to the bush. Take your shoes off and face to face, hear and respond to me. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand together. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer.
for Adonai to be here in our midst and for us to respond to him. Last week, a number of us, you know, I had a, there were a few people that were actually in tears at the end of our time of communion. The Lord was stirring some things up. I want to encourage you, don't go through motions. Don't, don't mark the event and miss the myth. Don't stay on the skin and avoid the pith. I, I want you to open yourself up to a holy God. Let him light the fire. Ho, our God. You are a consuming fire, we are told in the Scripture. You are a holy God. You are so far above and beyond us. It is you who spoke and created everything. We are but dust of the earth. And so, Lord, we can sometimes fear not with a holy fear of God, but not wanting to come into your presence. We would sometimes prefer other things. Lord, we can be like Moses, content to be a shepherd, to not hear and see you face to face, to not know the call you would have for us. Father, we confess that all of these things can be true for us. Lord, I begin by praying, if there is anyone here this morning that has never embraced the gospel, Father, I pray that you would send forth your powerful Holy Spirit upon them. Lord God, I pray that their eyes would be opened. I pray that their ears would hear, that you would speak to them, that the deepest thing they long for, that for which they were made, is to know and be known by you. To be a child of the living God. Father, I pray no one would walk away without coming face to face with the gospel of Christ. And Father, I pray for all of us who are believers. Lord, I pray as Malcolm guided in that poem, that you would come and you would touch us and you would blaze again in us. Father God, sometimes we allow the fire to grow dim. I get all caught up in other things. My interest and my desire can run hither and yon. I pray, Lord God, that you would call each of us to yourself. Lord, I pray that this week, each and every morning when our eyes open, when we first sit up, we would sense your Holy Spirit calling us near, that we would open your word, that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that the great privilege that we don't have to veil our face, we don't have to go to a particular place. That, Lord, we can come into your presence because Jesus has opened the way. That he has come and brought salvation for us. Lord, I pray we would not let that go idly by. Father, would you reach out? Would you draw us? Would you stir up holy fire of passion within us? us. God, if there is anyone here who says, at one time I was close, but I seem distant, I pray for you to pour your Holy Spirit upon them now. Encourage them. Call them. Draw them close to yourself. Father, for those who are feeling close, I pray you would give even more. Come down upon us as you did at the first Pentecost, as you did in Acts chapter 4, when you refilled the disciples with your Holy Spirit. Lord, as you came upon Paul time and time again. Father, this is our covenant privilege. Lord God, stir up hunger. Lord God, fill that hunger. Lord God, stir up a desire for you, and then fill that desire. Lord, we open ourselves up to you. Send your Holy Spirit. 
Do all of this in us. And then, O oh God, send us forth aflame and alive with the Spirit and the Gospel and the Word of God to spread it here and abroad, Lord. We ask that you would do this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, Yahweh our God in the flesh, our King, our Savior, our Deliverer. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and the Lord is speaking that to you, I want to reiterate, because of the gospel, you are beloved and you have full access to God. Hear and respond to that this morning. Whatever it is, if anything tells you you cannot draw near to God, do not listen. In the gospel, every access Every covenant blessing is yours because Jesus was faithful. I'm going to conclude with the word of benediction here. And I, I wasn't going to do this, but I'm actually, because we're focusing on God's covenant name, I'm, I'm going to do the benediction in Hebrew first as it was in this ancient name we've been talking about. And then I'll do it in English. And I want you to hear and receive the blessing of God Go forth on fire and spread that blessing to everyone you meet this week. Church, hear and receive the blessing of your Father. Yavarechacha Adonai v'yishmerecha. Ya'er Adonai panayev alecha v'hunecha. Yisa Adonai panayev alecha v'yasem lecha. Shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, go forth full of every blessing and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.